Welcome to the book club that sure is not your mom's romance book club, but it is my mom's. I'm Ellen, and joining me as always is my mom. Hi, mom. How's it going? Hi, Ellen. Everything is like super chill. My life is super chill. I'm so happy for you. Yeah, I know. Today, <laughs> today we are going to talk about My Fake Rake by Eva Lee, and later we are going to be talking with Kathy Maxwell about her book, His Secret Mistress, which comes out tomorrow um, as of releasing this episode. But first, Mom, what have you been reading? Well, I haven't ventured too far, but let's see. We did Chocolate Thief, and then I read Moon Called because we did an episode on that. And then I read My Fake Rake. But then I just, I have started the, I can't remember what's called, something with blood. <laughs> the second book in the Moon Called series. And, um, well, and you also read His Secret Mistress by Kathy Maxwell. I did read his, I think there was another book in there, but it didn't show up on my Goodreads because it's, it was a pre book. I, I don't know what you call it. <laughs> it still shows up. I think you just haven't put it on there. But, oh, I know why it didn't show up. Never mind. Okay. Um, sounds like it's your fault that it didn't show up. <laughs> Nope, it's not. It's just you don't know how to work Goodreads. Oh, that's okay. probably very true. <laughs> um, I have read all of those books as well, except for the second Moon Called book. And I am in the middle of listening to Get a Life, Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert. Um, it is very cute so far. Uh, I've been enjoying it. Thoroughly, and it's a really good audiobook. The narrator does a really funny job with the book. So, if you're looking for an audiobook so far, I would recommend that one. And it's a good fit for our theme this month. Yes, which we're going to talk a little bit about in the break segment. But okay. Um. So, in case you can't tell, <laughs> I'm still sick. It, it, it seems to be a running theme with you, Ellen. Yeah, it's um and I'm I love sick it, of you, you being I'm still sick of you being sick. So what yeah, medicine can I much, take for that, Ellen? Guess where that ranks on my, <laughs> you know, list of priorities. It's right pretty now. high on my list though. It's not like I can go to Target and get, you know, they they don't make a NyQuil for <laughs> your daughter's making you crazy with all her hacking. <laughs> Yeah, I'll call mom and she's like, well, I'm going to hang up now because I'm tired of listening to you cough. And I'm like, well, that's rude. Um, I, I posted, In my defense, it's after talking to you for like 45 minutes. Whatever. No, that time was after talking to me for like two. That could that could be true because it gets pretty tiring pretty quick. <laughs> Whatever. Um. Yeah, I went to urgent care. I finally went to urgent care. And no joke, the doctor said this to me. She's like, yeah, there's just a lot of them going around right now. I mean, honestly, the only prescription I can give you is that it needs to stop being winter and it needs to be spring. I'm like, thanks. Helpful. Oh, my gosh. The fact that she didn't say more cowbell is like a missed opportunity there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, (laughs) I guess that's not very professional. But if I were a doctor... I'd use that line all the time. I know you would. <laughs> um, anyway, so still just plugging along, and I'm hopped up on cold meds. Let like, me guess. Constantly. All this means that you're just reading the back cover description. Mom, you you anticipated me. <laughs> oh, Ellen, our minds are like one, <laughs> except 
<laughs> Mine isn't sick. <laughs> <coughs> well, listen, we're lucky because I've been like coming home from work at like, you know, four or five and taking NyQuil as soon as I get home. So we're lucky that I got this book read, okay? Um, that I was lucid enough to read this book. Um, in fact, I read two books this week. We're lucky that both what? of those happened. That's crazy talk. I know. Um, okay, so today we are going to be talking about a book that both of us read to completion. Uh, My Fake Rick by Eve, Ava Lee. I don't know how. Eva? Ava? Eva. Um, this is the first book in her new Union of Rake series. The second book, Would I Lie to the Duke, comes out in this August. Um, which, I, if you've read the book, I'm thinking we all know who the second book is about. Nice. Um, so... As mom already guessed, the back cover description for this book reads, Lady Grace Wyatt is content as a wallflower, focusing on scientific pursuits rather than the complications of society matches. But when a handsome, celebrated naturalist returns from abroad, Grace wishes for once to be noticed. Her solution? To build the perfect man who will court her publicly and help her catch his eye. Grace's colleague, anthropologist Sebastian Holloway, is just the blank slate she requires. In exchange for funding his passage on an expedition leaving London in a few months, Sebastian allows Grace to transform him from for, from a bespectacled, bookish... Hold on a second... In exchange for funding his passage on an expedition leaving London in a few months... Is that a thing that they talk about? I don't know. I don't remember that. Possibly. He says he's going to write a book about it, but... Yeah. I mean, she was hoping to go on the expedition with what's-his-face, but... Anyway, continue, my dear. Well, that's strange, though. Now I'm I'm really hung up on that. Okay. (laughs) In exchange for funding his passage on an expedition leaving London in a few months, Sebastian allows Grace to transform him from a bespectacled bookish academic into a dashing albeit fake, rake. Between secret lessons on how to be a rogue and exaggerated public flirtations, Grace's feelings for Sebastian grow from friendship into undeniable, inconvenient, real attraction. If only she hadn't hired him to help her marry someone else. Sebastian is in love with brilliant, beautiful Grace, but their bargain is complete, and she desires another. Yet when he's faced with losing her forever, Sebastian will do whatever it takes to tell her the truth, even if it means risking his own future and his heart. Okay, Mom, what did you think of my fake rake? Ellen, I think I loved this book. I'm, I think I loved this one, too. <laughs> I It frustrated the crap out of me. Oh, yeah. my gosh. But I think that that's the whole point, is that it's supposed to be frustrating that these two are so, you know, they're both so book smart, but their social context is so broken that they can't see how much they're in love with each other. Well, on our social media, when I posted and said that we were reading this book, um, Eva, Ava Lee said, um, oh, thanks for reading about my two nerds falling in love. And I'm like, and after reading, I'm like, yeah, they're two nerds falling in love. That's oh. their book. I, I loved this story. I thought it was so fun. And um, I just couldn't get it yeah. out of the two of them. Yeah, I really liked this one a lot. Um, yeah, and I think I'm a love. Honestly, like, I think this was the perfect book for, like, my drug-addled um 
mucus-filled brain. Um, Jeez, to be more descriptive, right would you? <laughs> I can. Do you want? Should I get into no, what thanks. happened the other night? <laughs> no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> We're good. Uh, <laughs> but I really, I, I thought this one was a lot of fun. It's, is it the deepest of all books? No, No. but I think that's why it was perfect. It was just a sweet little sugary confection of a book. And and I don't think I loved it. I loved the dialogue. I loved the interactions. I don't think they were very true to historical. No, (laughs) at all. But they were just such fun to read. And um, I just thought it was a great time. Yeah. Okay, what did you think of Grace as our heroine? I loved Grace. I lo- I'll tell you what I loved about Grace. I lo- First of all, you know, she is totally nerdy. But I love that she, like, has no qualms, you know, talking dirty or doing this kind of stuff. You know, and I think Swearing. that comes from being an intellectual because she, you know, is just used to reading about stuff in books and used to all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, she, and she would watch Lizard's Mate and that would, like, be a turn on <laughs> in some weird way. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I thought she was fantastic. I loved watching her grow. Anyway, I I loved listening to her um talk about all of her reptiles and amphibians and I loved her she, yeah, she was just a total nerd and it was just fun to watch her grow and develop and she frustrated the crap out of me because he mm-hmm. obviously was totally into her and she wasn't getting it. But, you know, I think that's part of the storyline. My first note for both of them, for her, she's sweet if not dim. For him, he's sweet if not dim. Because <laughs> yeah. they were both equally oblivious and clueless when it came to, like, each other. Yes. Um. I love her passion and her seemingly like obliviousness to some basic elements of human interaction. My favorite moments were those moments where Rutherby would teach them something and they would both just be fascinated at this new information and just be like, hmm, yes, okay, interesting, <laughs> and take notes and things like that. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I, I thought she was, she was a lot of fun. And, you know, I, this is the first time I think that I've read a heroine who is, uh, specializes in reptiles and amphibians <laughs> was a novel. Um, and yeah, I thought she was just really, really cute, if not oblivious, right. In, right. in some key moments, but yeah, key we'll talk moments. about, oh my gosh. we'll talk about that a little bit later too. Um, what did you think of Sebastian as our hero? Sebastian was, I loved Sebastian, and he was just so sweet and, yeah, just so, it's like, dude, read what's going on here. You can read all these big, fancy scientific books, but you can't read, and especially since he was an anthropologist, it seemed like he would be a little more into how people interacted a little bit, but, um Anyway, and I think I'll tell you another problem I had with this whole thing. This is always the thing in these stories and even in the books or movies that they're based on. Obviously, I guess I think we're going to talk about that in a little while. But um, 
They you have to take their glasses off in order to make them hot. <laughs> However, she did say she liked him with his glasses on, but she thought he'd look more like a rake without his glasses. Well, and the other thing I will say is, I mean, think about the glasses that they had back yeah, then. back then. They weren't the sexiest of glasses. They were a little janky, but... As opposed to now, which, which are totally sexy. Totally sexy glasses. <laughs> I don't know. I've had some glasses, like, in the 80s that were... Yes, not you so have. <laughs> Actually, they're coming back now, though, so that's super frustrating. I thought he was also very sweet, and we've talked before, but I am a sucker for, you know, when it's the unrequited love on the dude's perspective, and that was in full force in this one. Granted, you know, it took him a long time to realize it was love still, but... Um, he just had to say one thing about the way he felt. And it would have, the book would have been a lot shorter. Just it would have one been like time. two pages long. Mention it once. Just say something. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Um, so they were so frustrating. But I think where I can still come through on a love on this book is that a big part of what made them frustrating was also what made them both so sweet. Right. Right? Yes. And um, their naivety as to yes. the ways of the world. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and you know, also in both of their defense, they, you know, set out on this thing, which is they're pretending to be in love with each other. So anytime they thought they were reading signals, you know, which they definitely were, but anytime they thought they were reading signals, they like both wrote it off as like, oh, well, it's all part of the act yeah it's just playing a part Mm. yeah (sighs) um i loved all of sebastian's like nerdy double entendre um (laughs) you must have a very sizable library then it's not the size it's what i do with it very thick volumes (laughs) but she even knew what he was talking about and that's what would that's what made them fun is that even when he would get you know kind of dirty in a secretive kind of way she still got it yeah. And when they were in the uh, foyer of the house that they were yeah. in, and they were talking back and forth because of the acoustics in the room, and they were saying dirty words to each other. Yeah. <laughs> it's delightful. Yeah. That was all really cute. Um, okay, Mom. What did you think of the 80s movies coming to the Regency in this series? Uh-huh. Well, right off the bat in the prologue, when they are talking about these boys all meeting at school and it was the breakfast club vibe and I was like oh my gosh I'm totally on board with this I am totally on board (laughs) okay we need to talk about how like Ava Lee and I apparently share a brain because a long time ago sorry Ava yeah yeah sorry um it's really boring um uh, I I had an idea. In fact, I have a note pad on my phone of like I was thinking of trying to write a series of Regency novels that are framed around eighties movies. And my I had like the the Tea Time Club. So it was, but mine was gonna be girls girls that are like at a finishing school and they are always getting in trouble at the same time. And so they were going to be like the breakfast club. And then each book was going to be, I had like a 16 candles outlined. I had 
a girls just want to have fun outlined. I had a can't buy me love outlined. I had a pretty in pink outlined. Um, I can't remember what else, but Ava beat me to it. <laughs> yes, she did. <laughs> and when I I like sat down to write a regency, it's very intimidating to me, like the research element that is involved in in writing these historicals. I don't. It's I I would fret about like every tiny little detail and it would hang me up for a long time. Um, but so yeah, we'll so, just read them and, and talk about like yeah. we're super knowledgeable about books. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so obviously, I thought this was a great idea for a series <laughs> and for a book. Um, obviously, this one is kind of can't buy me love um, with this greater breakfast club framework uh, for the series um but yeah I thought it was really fun I think that it does kind of lend to taking it out of maybe like the historical accuracy a bit but I don't know and we talked about like with the virtuoso like I really respect like attention to historical accuracy I respect that but it's also fun to kind of get into a historical with a little bit of a modern edge to it. So, um, and this girl was the vice president of the 80s club that her and her friends started in her high school for the sole reason that we wanted to dress up in 80s clothes every once in a while and have an excuse for doing it. So I am a sucker for all of those 80s movies and the 80s music and stuff like that. So... I am so on board with this premise and I hope the rest of the series like all carries on with a different 80s movie theme because I will, I am hooked. <laughs> yes, you are. Um, okay, mom, how much did you want to knock their heads together the whole time? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. The part where I just almost threw the book down and said, come on! <laughs> after they had sex for the first time and yeah. he's like we'll just pretend like this never happened just if there's any guys listening at all anytime you have sex with someone and then the first words out of your mouth are like this was a mistake we'll pretend like this never happened it's not going to end well yeah don't ever say those words at least no. fill out the situation before you go there because no girl ever or guy i would imagine wants to hear that especially his is like Two seconds after completion. I know. Like, they just, like, broke apart. And she's still wallowing in, you know, the afterglow. Like, yeah. And they're, <laughs> and, like, and they're still, like, panting and lighting the cigarettes, you know? And, I hope not. They were in a, you know, sit, laying on hay. But, um, <laughs> you know, for that to be the very first thought in your brain. And I get where he was coming from, uh, you know, that, you know, he was trying to alleviate his own pain because he was mm -hmm. afraid that that's what she would think. And so he mm -hmm. was trying to alleviate that a little bit. And I mean, I get it, but still, gosh, dang, anytime I've read a book where that's what happens, it's never good. I mean, it happens a fair bit it in does. our books, it to does. be fair. Yeah, they had a whole lot of that going on. And um, I mean, like we said, this book would be two pages long if they just were out with it straight away, you know. Um, but... I was glad in the end because I don't think that a lot of other, like, 
makeover tropes really call attention to this. But I was glad that she recognized that she had overlooked him just as much as Mason had overlooked her. Because, you know, she's going through this whole book like, well, everybody's only paying attention to me now because a man paid attention to me. And um, she was really kind of angry about that, rightfully so. Um, But the entire time I kept thinking like, well, you've overlooked, you know, Sebastian this whole time. And now he's taken off his glasses and got a haircut. And it's like, humana, humana, humana. (laughs) Well, in her defense, she always thought he was handsome and she's always really liked him. He just never put himself forth as someone who wanted to court her because he never felt he was worthy because he didn't have any money and he didn't have anything going on that he felt he had to offer mm-hmm. for a marriage partner. And so he never pursued it. I think if he had made any kind of overtures whatsoever, I think she would have been on board and and would have seen him differently But she was kind of keeping things tamped down because he had never made any kind of overtures in that direction. Maybe. We don't know, you know, to be fair. Like, you know, in the beginning, she was always just like, my friend, 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 my friend. And it's like, oh, the friend shit. (laughs) But she did allude to the fact that he's never made any kind of overtures towards anything. I mean, and and then from his perspective... It's because he didn't feel he was marriageable material. Yeah. Um, Yeah, but I was just glad to... I was glad if you're going to have a makeover trope, I'm glad that that was addressed. The person doing the makeover also realizes that they weren't... Yeah. They weren't... They were oblivious as well to them. Yeah. Um, And, you know, like in a different way than... Mason had been to her, but I don't know. Um, And then the other thing that was kind of frustrating me outside of them was um, why no one around her was suggesting Sebastian Sebastian. as, like, a potential, you know, here he is, like, actively pursuing her and, like, her mom and her maid are all like, oh, you must be so excited to see Mason. And it's like, what the heck? This like super fine specimen of a man is like courting her and nobody's like, or, you know, like there's this guy too. Like what's going on there? Like maybe you want to take a little peek seer on over there. Well, I, I, I think, know. yeah, I agree. Um, I thought that was a little weird that But I think that a lot of that just comes from they had been friends for so long and nothing had ever happened. And they all knew that she kind of had a thing for Mason. So they just thought that's what she wanted. Yeah. Um, Okay, Mom. Let's talk about sex, baby. Um, This one was pretty saucy for... I mean, there wasn't a ton of sex in it. No, there wasn't. But, like... Especially for, you know, we, we keep talking about they're so sweet, they're so innocent, they're so cute, blah, 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 blah. And then when they hit it, it's like, oh, hello. Okay. <laughs> oh, that was pretty saucy. And um, like I said, they had no trouble with the dirty talk. And... No, they did not. <laughs> they just went right at it. And her being the little, you know, that's what everybody wants. A 
virgin that can talk really dirty. <laughs> Every man's dream. Yeah. Apparently. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, it kind of took me by surprise a little bit because as, you know, and I did like all of the allusions to like, oh, scholars are, you know, learned in so many ways. Yeah, wink, they wink, are. wink. <laughs> and <laughs> um, I thought that was funny. And um, yeah, so I, it, it surprised me, but I was not angry at it, shall we say. No, no. Well, if it had been like throughout the book over and over and over again, it would have gotten tiresome. But just for the one, I mean, they're really, they only had sex twice, maybe. Yeah. The and they were both like within the last, you know, yeah. 25% of the book or so. And, um, well, the one time was a little earlier, but. Uh, it wasn't, Mom. I was keeping an eye paying on attention, I was like, huh? I was like, why am I at 70% of the book and there's no sex yet? <laughs> But and that was a cute scene where they went to that little festival in that little village and Well, so mom, what was your swooniest moment? Because spoiler alert, that was mine. Was oh, them going to the village. Sorry. And that was so, cute. Thanks. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to trample on your swooniest whatever. moment. Yeah. I but agree with you though, it was cute. And he, and when okay. she sat on his shoulders and he kept feeling his thigh her thigh against his face. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh. I would say my spooniest moment was when they danced at the ball and um he's just like, I believe this is my dance and he just kinda of took control, even though she was standing there talking to Mason and he takes her on the floor and it was just described well, extremely well. Yeah, and him being kind of possessive during yeah. that whole scene was kind of swoony i just thought that whole um village scene was cute with you know them cheering each other on with the race and stuff like that and then um i don't know it was just getting to run away together and things like that i thought all that was cute okay mom let's read what some of the listeners thought uh catherine says lol that her first reaction to a marriage proposal is to wonder if there are amphibians and reptiles in greenland (laughs) It was a fun read. My first historical romance. First historical romance. Wow. Uh, Definitely a good bridge for someone coming from contemporary. I would agree with that. This is a good one for that. Um, I didn't buy that the Duke would put that much time and effort into helping them, but I kind of skimmed or slash skipped the prologue. So perhaps that's what makes that part make sense. Um, Yeah, you should have read that. It's the whole setup for the series. The whole setup for the whole series. Ah. Um, I get that it's supposed to be setting up the rest of the series. (laughs) There you go. Uh, It didn't make sense to put the content note about social anxiety at the end of the book after we've already read the thing and the acknowledgments, but my understanding is authors don't get final say on layout unless it's self-published. I will say sometimes I do read the acknowledgments first to see if someone I know is in there. One time it was me. That's fine. Uh, Cassie says, I really liked this book. I connected with Sebastian and Grace. After I finished reading the book, I saw somewhere that this series is inspired by The Breakfast Club since the story starts out with the union of rakes in detention at school. I think I'll keep going with this series. One thing that made me laugh is how Sebastian's makeover reminded me of the movie She's All That. Just remove the glasses and you can reveal the (laughs) sexy person underneath. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's always how that goes. Always been our quibble with these makeovers. Yeah. 
Um, Lori says, I liked this book. Although, if I'm honest, I think I liked the characters more than some of their choices and their actual journey, if that makes sense. I loved how our hero had his two identities. Regular guy Seb and Super Rake Sebastian. His transformation read like a total 90s teen movie makeover, and I loved it. Grace was a spirited heroine who was easy to like, but she needed someone to knock her upside the head so she could see that she was what she was doing to Seb was exactly what Mason had been doing to her. The ending was a bit over the top for my taste, but I'm looking forward to the Duke story next. I'm a sucker for gang of found family misfits. I loved the prologue with the heavy breakfast club vibe. I was waiting for the upper school boy who assigned the essay to tell them, don't mess with the bull, you'll get the horse. <laughs> Does Barry Manilow know you ward his, right, his wardrobe? Um, yeah, I definitely think all of the... I mean, I just bought this as like a can't buy me love homage you know um so i think all of the 90s 80s movie vibes are intentional on her part but maybe she would tell us otherwise and i i i thought that the and i think that the ending is slightly over the top but i think it is supposed to be also in line with some of those you know cheesy 80s rom-com last minute because they're leaving on a plane somewhere yeah exactly (laughs) i read it like a airport scene you know (laughs) in a rom-com so uh alexandra says i don't always love the friends to lovers trope but i think this one was one of my top picks i've read so far i loved the plot a woman trying to snag her longtime crush by having her friend pretend to court her it was the right mix of friends to lovers and fake to real dating. It really made beta character Sebastian get in touch with his alpha side. This book had quite a lot of tension, which was even better shown by the dual perspective writing. Yes, I agree. I loved that the characters were so smart and interesting. I always love a blue stocking in a historical romance, and Sebastian was a fun mix of confident and shy. There is a particularly steamy barn scene that is definitely memorable. I thought that the ending was satisfying and a little over the top. This was my first Ava Lee book, but it won't be my last. Um, yeah, likewise, uh, my first as well. And I would also agree that, and I think I am on board with the rest of the series because I'm intrigued by all of the, all of the guys. So, um, it's very possible. I already went on and pre-ordered the next book. So I'll look at you. <laughs> Um, Jessica said, I really liked this book. I liked that the book took the makeover trope and flipped it with the hero instead of the heroine getting the makeover. I liked how Sebastian was so willing to step up and out of his comfort zone to help the woman he loved, even though he thought that would end up with her marrying another man. Although I wish he would have spoken up about his feelings earlier instead of disappearing off on one of his wanders. I liked the mutual pining between two scholars who didn't understand their feelings. Honestly, though, my favorite part of this book was, by far, was Rutherby. He was a hoot. I loved Rutherby's sense of humor, the glimpses we got. We get that there is way more going on with him than we see and his unwavering friendship and support of Sebastian. I am so excited that his book is coming up next. And one final thought, I really loved the cover of this book. I love the whole, oh, you took off your glasses and now I can see how hot you are being portrayed on the cover. (laughs) Mom, you had something to say about the cover. I did, because usually I've mentioned before on the podcast that I don't always like a blonde hero because the pictures of them on the cover usually they look like surfer dudes and it just doesn't work for me Mm -hmm. but i have to say that this particular cover even though he was a blonde hero 
it worked for me. <laughs> yeah. I think it helps that he doesn't have like the longer yeah, locks. Um, yeah, I also loved Rutherby and I loved like, I loved his <laughs> like having to babysit the two of them <laughs> all the time and just like, you know, he says something about like the blind leading the bespectacled <laughs> and, um, and just how he's like, okay, you guys, <laughs> just like, let's, let's focus up here, kids. Well, and, he, um, like when he shows up late and later on, Sebastian's like, you were late on purpose. So we, and he's like, yeah, I was. So you guys <laughs> could have some time alone together. <laughs> yeah. I was like, ah, we love a matchmaking Duke. So cute. Um, Aaron said, I really enjoyed the first half of this book. It was almost a love. The chemistry between Sebastian and Grace was really fun. Their nerdy flirting was, their nerdy flirting, that's a hard phrase to say. Nerdy flirting. (laughs) Their nerdy flirting was adorable, but I was lost after their time in the barn. Sebastian doesn't come out looking very good that he would go so far with no thought to her reputation and continued to not come clean about his true feelings. I would agree with that. That was slightly off-putting, but, you know, whatever. I got it, I got it within the sense, taste, uh, context of the book. Uh, she says, Grace also doesn't look great that she would keep up with the ruse and not be honest with herself or Sebastian. I ended up skimming to the end because I felt like their conflict was just being strung out unnecessarily. That's fair. I can, I can see that. I was invested enough in them and their obliviousness by that point that I was on board but well and I think she was trying to create that last minute drama that we talked about like the airport scene in a movie but yeah you know and to do that he had to be away and then come home and have her leaving on a ship because ships don't just leave like quickly (laughs) yeah uh singular male listener Jason said I really enjoyed this book I liked both of the lead characters, who doesn't love hot nerds? And of course, he got hot as soon as he took off his glasses, which is always funny. <laughs> uh, Natalie says, I liked this book a lot. I loved basically all the characters, including Grace, Sebastian, and Rutherby. I also loved seeing Sebastian's transformation to Rake. I think ultimately, though, I liked the idea of the plot a little more than the execution. The concept for this book is some seriously good catnip. The conflict was the issue for me, and there were quite a few times when I feel like they had just, um, then had they just communicated honestly with each other, the book could have ended up happily much earlier. I wish there had been something else keeping them apart for them to overcome other than not communicating. I still had so much fun reading this book and will probably pick up the rest of the series once they come out. Nara says, I think I loved this book. It was sweet, but I was not expecting that steaminess. Sebastian is a beta with low self-esteem. I liked at the end when she apologized for overlooking him just as his father did. They're both amphibians. Quote, they don't show emotion the way people want them to, so they're believed to be without feelings. Her jaw tightened as indignation rose within her. It's not true. What they feel is subtler than what humans want. They feel only it's kept here. She pressed a hand to the center of her chest. End quote. I started the book wanting to get the con- to get to the conflict. I really wanted to know how that would play out when they were both already attracted to each other and close friends. I was not disappointed. It seemed believable to me. 
And then finally, Deanna said, I really liked this one. Great twist to have the hero get a makeover as opposed to heroin. I love a quiet, awkward dude. At times, it seemed a little too progressive for the time period. Not sure how many guys were thinking, you know, it's a shame these ladies aren't more educated <laughs> and language during the sexy times. Ooh. Not yeah. sure how much the F word was being tossed around back in the day. Still a great book, but sometimes had to remind myself it was historical. Yeah, I can see that. Um... So yeah, so I would say, I would say this one, one thing that yeah. I thought was going to happen just because it's a historical romance that never came is I thought that he, um, like his father was going to recognize that he shouldn't have cut him off and so he'd wind up with a bazillion dollars. Um, I thought him kind of coming, you know, becoming a more prominent figure in society was going to make his dad be like, or, or marrying okay. her or something was going to make his dad say, oh, you're finally becoming a man, so you can have my money. But honestly, I think I I preferred that that didn't happen. I, I, honest, I, I honestly believe, I think I do too. But I was kind of expecting that to happen just because yeah. that's the kind of thing that always happens in romance novels. So I was kind of glad that it didn't. However... I keep thinking, well, maybe later on in the series, something like that might occur. Well, I, I like that in the epilogue, they're kind of making their own way, yeah. you know, and making money off of their studies and, you know. Yeah, people are hiring them to do expeditions and. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's awesome. But it's something that I expected to have happen, but it didn't. And I was fine with it not happening. So Yeah, likewise. Uh, Mom, any final thoughts on this book? No, I really thought this was a really fun read. I had a great time, and it's been a while since I've read one that I enjoyed this much. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Um, and like I said, I'm I'm on board with the rest of the series. Those are our thoughts and some of your thoughts on My Fake Rake by Ava Lee. We would love to hear more from you on our Facebook page, our Facebook group, which is not your mom's Facebook group, our Goodreads group, our Twitter and Instagram, which are both at NotYourMom'sRom, or you can email us at NotYourMom'sRomanceBookClub at gmail.com. So if you want to read along with us and email us with your thoughts, or if you would like to suggest a book for us to read, we would love to hear from you. On March 2nd, we will be discussing Lush Money by Angelina Lopez in our next mini episode. For now, we are going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll be joined by the delightful Kathy Maxwell to talk about her new book, his secret mistress so stay with us it's time for a break it's time for a break the break is when we do the news and mail (coughs) (laughs) love how you peppered in that hack at the end (laughs) um we have an email today it is from Catherine, who says Hi, Mom and Ellen. I've been having such a great time listening to your podcast, Wait, Old and is New. Wait, the same Catherine that never read a historical romance? I believe so, yes. Wow. Um, I'm listening to one now that y'all did on the attachments at the very beginning, and it's making me want to go reread it for sure. Um, we did like that one. That was a good one. She says, I have some recs for y'all. The first is on my TBR list, but based on the discussion of deaf heroes, I have to jump in and recommend Laura Brown. She's deaf herself, and a lot of her books feature characters who are deaf or hard of hearing. She teaches one ASL word a day on her Instagram, and beyond her passion for writing books with good disability rep, she's an advocate for it across the board. The book she has coming up in March that I am so looking forward to 
is a matzo ball surprise, which is a fake dating book set during Passover with a deaf hero and hearing heroine. I am not Jewish, but I celebrate Cedar every year and with family who is, and I'm excited to see a book set at any non-Christmas holiday TBH. Um, that sounds fun. I like, I like that. Um, if my grandma was still alive, the romance novel I recommend her is Aisha at Last by Uzma Jalaluddin. I don't know how to say her name. Her name. It's the best Pride and Prejudice retelling I've ever read. It walks the line between being faithful to the story while being an entirely new and fresh take that we haven't seen. It's Canadian and Muslim and an oh-so-good contemporary romance. If Ellen's dad ever comes on the show, this one is definitely dad, grandma, mother-in-law, neighbor friendly. <laughs> uh, so another one I think would be cute for the podcast is Dating by the Book by Marianne Marlowe because it's just so cute and well-positioned as a book club book. It's set in a bookstore. There's an author main character with a book about to be released, a book reviewer love interest, and a small town book club with passionate readers. I feel like it is our no yomo collective cup of tea. That's obviously hyperbole. We never all agree on a book, which is the fun <laughs> part of a book club. I like it better than the bromance book club. There you go. Upcoming books I'm looking forward to are Something to Talk About by Meryl Wilsner and You Had Me at Ola by Alexis Daria. Um, she says, have fun in Disneyland, Ellen. Live your best life. All best, Catherine. Um, Catherine. Thank you for all of your well wishes. Yeah. And um, those all sound delightful. <laughs> and yes, I will add them to our upcoming poll that we have coming sooner rather than later. Yeah. yeah. Um, about time our does next fly. Batch of books. It seems like we yeah. just started our recent yeah. set. Also, I wanted to give a quick shout out because. Um, we're running out of February episodes to talk about this, but over on the Facebook group, um, the delightful Jessica is running a, a reading challenge. And uh, this month, the February challenge is black authors or heroines to celebrate the fact that in the U.S., February is Black History Month. Um, so I mentioned I am listening to uh, Get a Life, Chloe Brown. Uh, some other books that listeners are reading on the group, Once Ghosted, Twice Shy by Alyssa Cole, Rebel by Beverly Jenkins, an anthology called Daughters of a Nation, a black suffragette historical romance anthology. Um, a lot of people reading Get a Life, Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert, A Princess in Theory by Alyssa Cole, Zini by Rebecca Weatherspoon, Catching London by M.V. Ellis, The Proposal by Jasmine Guillory, Untouchable by Talia Hibbert, Talk Sweetly to Me by Courtney Milan, Indigo by Beverly Jenkins, The Right Escape by Cherish Reed, and Illusion of Love by Nana Malone. And that's just a sampling of, you know, some of the options that are out there. Um, but yeah, so it's it's been fun to do the reading challenge and for everybody to kind of weigh in with their different books. You know, it's a good way to kind of clean out some of your TBR list, I will say. Um <laughs> Anyway, so if you want to join in on that or any of the fun and frivolity we have on the Facebook group, definitely go check that out. And um, that's all we have for the break segment today. And we'll see you guys next time. Mm -hmm. 
Welcome back. We are so lucky today to be joined by the lovely Kathleen Maxwell, whose new book, His Secret Mistress, comes out February 25th, which I believe with when this episode comes out is tomorrow. So welcome, Kathy. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. Um, with almost 40 books to her name, Kathy has been a prolific force in the historical romance genre. And if you haven't read a Kathy Maxwell, every time I read one, I walk away just having a lovely glowy feeling. That's how I would describe your books, Kathy, oh, is they're just you. lovely. Thank you, Alan. <laughs> and I can tell you from personal experience that Kathy is also lovely, but also a tremendous advocate for romance. So we're delighted to have her on today. Yeah, thanks a lot. And I love having podcasts like this. Because um, if I have to say there's one thing that, that I really celebrate, it's getting readers and writers together. Yeah, it's true. You do. And I can say that from experience because Kathy and I, is it okay if I talk about this, Kathy, how we oh, sure. know each other? Okay. Yes, um, Kathy and I have met on several occasions because she started a romance book club herself in Austin, Texas when I lived there. And I was lucky enough to attend for a while. And honestly, when I moved away, that was one of the things I was saddest to lose. Um, I dragged mom to the first meeting, so she also participated. And um, honestly, that book club was a huge part of why we started the podcast, because I just realized I really liked talking about romance books and wanted to find more avenues to do so. Well, you were a great asset because um, you, have a, you have a good ear to the tone of a book. Oh, well, thank you. So I always found what you had to say was insightful. Well, and then, of course, I remember when you're talking now on this podcast, are we, are we calling... Are we calling your mom, mom? Well, by default, I do, but it's it's out there what her real name is. So you can, my okay, name is, you can call me Julie. Because <laughs> yeah, I remember um, the first time we met, you all, uh, Julie had driven with you to Austin to move yeah. in. Yeah. Yes. And you had made her, kind of force-fed her romance novels, audio <laughs> yeah. romance novels on the way. Yes. It's and a true. reader was born. A reader was <laughs> That's born. That's true. And That's now true. I've created a monster and this podcast as well, The Monster. Um, Kathy also hosts, I want to mention your reading salon that you do there right. in the Austin area. And I only got to attend one of them because they kind of started towards the tail end of my Austin experience, but I loved the idea of romance readings and I found the one that I attended to be a lot of fun. And I've heard from some Thank other you. people who still keep going that they're a hoot. So yeah, we're that. still going strong. And I remember you went to the first one. Yes, I did. And that night, and that night, um, my, my daughter-in-law came and she did not read at all. <laughs> did not read. <laughs> Uh, but she came because she's loyal to me, yeah. and so she was there. And then we had another woman who showed up, and she said, I'm just here with a friend. I only read mysteries. Don't expect me to buy anything. <laughs> and before the night was over, the mystery reader went through and bought every book. Yeah, she did. And That's I'm right. driving home. I'm driving home, and my daughter-in-law calls me up and says, I'm on page 10 of your book. <laughs> this is so good. And she has, my daughter-in-law is going with me to the Coastal Magic Conference. Oh, wow. And so... she can't wait because she wants to, she has become an avid romance reader. See, we, we get and them all eventually, huh, yeah. Kathy? You know, because I, I think people are put off by what they, what they perceive the books are mm -hmm. instead of realizing that these are about they're about vibrant characters, they're interesting stories, they're 
fun. Reading should be fun. Yeah. Uh, I'm all for reading for, you know, input and knowledge and whatever else, but I think it's also great fun just to let your brain go on a flight of fancy. I I don't know why people would not want reading to be fun. Absolutely. I mean, I after college, I remember I just went on this bender that's now continued on for 10 years, but I was like, I'm tired yeah. of reading serious books. I want to read some fun books. <laughs> I, I did that. Right, now, exactly. now I'm ready for more. Um, so Kathy, with all of that, what is it about romance for you? What makes you such a staunch supporter of the genre as a whole? Well, I, um, you know what? I, I love these books. I love uh, what they have to say. Mm-hmm. I believe in relationships. Uh, after my, second child was born, I had the, um, the baby blues mm-hmm. big time. I really, it was, it, it, it was, I was very depressed and I went into the library and there was a woman who came in after I was in there with my, with my toddler and my newborn and I'm just dragging. Mm-hmm. And this woman comes in, she's got three toddlers and she's pregnant and she's carrying this huge you know, this huge bag of books, and she puts them on the library counter, and she said, fill it up, I'm going to take the kids into the children's section, and off she went, and the librarian, it was a male librarian, by the way, he he dumped all the books, and then he went over to the romance section, and he just put more books in there, (laughs) into the bag, so she just checked them out for and I was, she had so much energy, yeah, and I said, what is it she's reading? And he pushed the book toward me, and he goes, try it. <laughs> um, and I'm going to tell you, that book brought me out of, out of my depression. And yeah. I, I can only say it's because I got involved in the character. Um, I, I believe in relationships that have meaning, and that's one of the things that romance novels do um, reinforce. Mm-hmm. It's just exactly how important relationships are in our lives and and, the, and there's all sorts of relationships there's uh, family relationships and community relationships and yeah. you know co-worker rela- I mean the, the books are just they're, they're novels about people helping other people and finding meaning in their life yeah and uh, I, I, then from then on I was I was on the way by the way my mother was a huge romance reader Nice. And we used to make fun of her. <laughs> say, oh, you enjoyed your little book. And then here I am today. Yep. <laughs> Writing oh, it. so proud of me. <laughs> it was like she converted me. <laughs> but it was really that librarian. And that, that woman had so much energy. And um, even though she had you know, these, all these kids, she was in her life. And my husband would go to work. I'd be sitting at the dining table. I had a stack of romance novels. And he'd go off to work, and when he came home, I'd still be sitting at the dining room table, but the novels had switched over to my other, the other side. Like, I finished them, and I put them. And he said, did you do anything today? And I said, the kids are alive. The kids are alive. <laughs> <laughs> what more do you want from me? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's a funny thing that about true. romance that people have always kind of, like, in a derogatory way said, like, oh, it's just escapism. And I've always thought, like, well, what's wrong with that? Like... <laughs> Oh yeah. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. And also, yeah, well, I think yeah, there's I, also I mean, so yeah. much more to them than what you said and like like you just said, you know. Um, so I don't know. Well and, and well, it's, like, talked... it's like it's like reading a a Grisham about yeah. a courtroom and a court case. Yeah. That's escapism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We talked sure. on the podcast before about um 
how empowering these books are. And I don't think the general audience realizes or the general public realizes um, how empowering these are for women because the female characters are usually so strong and have their own views and their own thoughts. And, you know, uh, they're very empowering for women. And I think that that's another thing that will help, you know, bring you out of depressions and make you feel good uh, is just this girl power feeling that you get from reading romance novels. Well, I think it's interesting uh, what you're saying, because up until the time the romance novels took off, women were pretty um, flat characters mm-hmm. in the majority of novels. I mean, there were novels that were, uh, were you know, the women, but usually we walked into the, the lake and drowned ourselves at the end. <laughs> and, and, you know, so this idea that we were taking an active part in our life, that we were that we were going to be in the middle of everything that was going to go on, was kind of a, a relatively new idea. I mean, um, but then the editing, all, you know, the mm-hmm. publishing in New York was done, was basically male-oriented. Yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, here we go. Yeah. yeah. So that's what got you started reading romance. What got you started writing romance in particular? Had you been, like... When you started, had you been a longtime reader up to that point, or? I, um, when I was 25, I made a list of the 25 things I wanted to do with my life. <laughs> and I was, at, I was just at that stage where I had some big decisions to make. And I, so I made this list. Okay, here, 25 things. And on that list, I wrote down I wanted to write a book. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what I wanted to write. That was completely gone. So once I started <laughs> reading romance novels, I was like, oh, this is what I want to write. Yeah. This is it. And so I proceeded to start writing the worst book known to man. <laughs> and I wrote it in spiral, in spiral notemakers. And back in those days, I was smoking three packs of cigarettes a day. That just sounds remarkably indulgent now, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> I was, I was a big smoker, and so I'm sitting and I'm just scribbling away in these books, and these spir- and they, the spiral notebooks kept stacking up higher and higher, and um, I quit smoking. Uh-huh. And one of the things they say when you quit smoking is you have to stop doing things where you smoked. Uh-huh. So I quit writing. Oh. And then a couple of years passed, and we took these little notebooks. They traveled with us at that time. We moved from Connecticut down to Virginia. And I read in the newspaper that the local library was going to have a romance author come and speak about, you know, how to get a book published. Mm -hmm. And I thought of those, and I thought, I'm going to go hear her talk. So I I tried it off, and all I had was this terrible, terrible book. And (laughs) everything she said, her name was Christine Dorsey, I remember her name. Everything she said I wrote down. And then I proceeded to start doing what she told me to do. And that's why I'm here today. Wow. The spiral notebooks, they had to be thrown away eventually because <laughs> they weren't going to go anywhere. But, you know, I got involved with, um, with Romance Writers of America. Uh-huh. I got involved with them. I started talking to other writers. I started learning how to put together plots and characterizations. And they helped demystify the process. Mm-hmm. Because only another writer is going to tell you what you need to hear. It's, it's yeah. very interesting how that works. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, this is me. Here I am. Here you are. 
So mm-hmm. here you are with a new book coming out, His Secret Mistress, which again comes out tomorrow, February 25th. It's a second chance romance and the first book in your new series, A Logical Man's Guide to a Dangerous to Dangerous Women, which I have to tell you, I mm-hmm. love as a serious title. <laughs> um, so you. do you want to tell us, tell the listeners a little bit about what this book is about? You know, this book is about, you, you mentioned second chances. It's, it's about the one that got away. Uh-huh. It's about that relationship where it was intense uh-huh. and, and perhaps of a short duration, and then life takes everybody off in another direction. But yeah. in the back of your mind is always that person. Yeah. And I think most of us have at least one person like that in our lives. Yeah. So, um, so we have, we have, you know, when we open up, we have the uh, Brandon Balfour uh-huh. is the uh, male protagonist in the book. He's having a terrible day. <laughs> it's only getting worse. And he discovers that his ward, or his he's the guardian of the Duke. He's not a guardian of the Duke. And so he, he has um, control of the Duke's finances until the Duke turns 21. Yeah. And uh, so he's in this, he's, so, and the Duke has gotten his mother all upset because the Duke has declared that he's fallen in love with an actress. Heaven forbid. Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> no, she's older. She's older. Yeah. And she is older. She's almost 35 years old. But what he doesn't really, he does not realize that at the time. But when he goes to confront her, he realizes that here was the one woman who almost destroyed him because he had fallen so deeply in love with her in such a quick period of time, and then, you know, everything had blown up, and now he has to put up with his his young uh, nephew going just bananas over this woman. So, you know, it's just a very bad day for him. Yes, it's a bad day. And it's a bad day for her, because yes. Yes. She, this, this, is the, this is the guy, this is the guy that taught her to not trust and love. Mm-hmm. And now he's here, and now he's giving her edicts, and now he's telling her she needs to do this and needs to do that. And she's a, you know, she knows her own mind. She's a woman who, um, she makes her own living. Mm-hmm. She's not going to listen to him. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, Kathy, Mom and I were luck, both lucky enough to read an advanced copy, and I'm not just saying this because I like you and I'm talking to you right now, but I really loved it. I thought it was a lot Thank of fun you. and um yeah like i said earlier it's just lovely your books are lovely and just well and a lot of fun characters and just getting to know the whole little community where they live and all of it was just enchanting yeah and you do a lot of good setup like i'm intrigued by books i can tell that are are going to come and so it's a good good jumping off point for a series i i found um well i think it's interesting the idea of dangerous women Yes. Because my philosophy is, is a woman is dangerous, anyone is dangerous, once they start knowing what they want to do and mm-hmm. what they want in life. Yeah. That's what makes us dangerous. It also is what makes us interesting. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Um, well, let ahead. me say, Ellen, before you move on, I have to say this because we've talked before on the podcast about how second chance romance are not my favorite trope <laughs> because I either, one 
can't understand as I'm reading the book why they broke up in the first place, or two, can't understand why she would get back together with him in the second place. <laughs> or vice versa. So, yeah. yeah, or vice versa. However, I have to say that this is a second chance romance. I was on board the whole time. I understood where their falling out came in the beginning, and I understood why they were so drawn to each other later on in life. So good job, you. you. (laughs) Well, and it probably has to do with what you were saying, that it is kind of more of a missed opportunity, like missed encounters, you know, like one of those Craigslist ads or something. Well, you Uh, know, and the the other thing is, is that back in, in this Regency England, early 1800s. Yeah. And and that's back in a time where you can't just call someone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you wanted to reach out to them, you, you had to hire a messenger or you had to go around to their house and knock on their door. And, mm-hmm. You know, you didn't know if they were going to, I mean, it's just, you know, communication was so difficult. So it, it creates, it, you know, creates problems as, as they go along. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that people have brought up, and I'm going to add, I'm going to run this by, by you. Okay. I, I have been surprised by the early feedback in which people have commented on the fact that the heroine is in her 30s. They have a problem with that? I think it's fantastic. <laughs> I, I, I was just kind of a little like, oh, you know, they were like, well, usually they're younger. And I'm thinking, ah, and then I go, no, I don't know. I think women over 30 be, deserve to have love. Well, as someone who's approaching 35, yeah, I sure hope so. <laughs> well, here's my thing is, and anyone who's listened to the podcast will tell you, I have a huge problem with these books where the girls are 17 and 18 years old and they're falling for these guys who are 36 years old. I have a problem mm-hmm. with that because it seems uh, not, you know, politically correct to me <laughs> for these you know, Which older men to be fond We understand that it happened back then, but yeah, we it is get it. We get that it happened, but it's not always something I want to read about. Having a thirty-five yeah, actually, yeah. Go ahead. having a thirty-five-year-old um, heroine, and especially with the twenty-year-old Duke who was just head over heels for her, it's like yes, she, you know, she is getting the love she deserves, and <laughs> and, he, and he being almost her same age. I mean, they were about the same age, and right. uh, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Oh, great. I really that liked that component, Kathy, so I, I, I wouldn't pay attention to that. <laughs> oh, they, don't, okay. they don't know what they're talking <laughs> about. The is in history, we have this idea that everybody got married you know, really young, but in, actually in history, they got married about the same time that we get married in our, in our, in, in our, in our current modern history. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 22, 23, 27, 35. You know, people... Um, you know, people find each other at whatever age they're at. Yeah. No, yeah, and I, I, and especially... I won't tell you how old I was when I got married, but yeah. yes, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> she was young. Um, yeah, and I, especially with the whole aspect of them having had this previous encounter when they were both kind of young and in love, and so I liked that it it takes them a while to come back to each other, but. They do at, you know, uh, later in life, if we want to say that. I don't even know if you can say that for 35. But, um, yeah, so I, I liked that component. Um, and so with, like we like Mom mentioned, we're not always the hugest fan of second chance trope. So where do you fall? And did you find, do you find them any harder to write the second chances? You know, I get excited about an idea uh, with the characters. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I kind of jump in, and I don't pay attention to tropes. Yeah. 
Um, like right now on the second book, I'm kind of working in a love triangle, which is not exactly, if I, for my preference, it's not exactly, I don't know if it is mine or not, but for this book, for this story, for these people, it's, it is what it is. Yeah. And so, um, and I often think when I'm writing, it's like, it's like, um, it's like one of my friends telling me a story about what happened to them last Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, you know, I don't, I don't. I don't weigh real. Uh, I don't weigh deeply into um, the tropes or whatever. It's just like, well, this is what this is what happened. Yeah. Now, when I was writing this book, and I don't know if you saw the author's note in the back, I did uh, yes, yes. When I was writing this book, I started thinking, okay, will people believe that you know that love, that desire, that passion, that lust, whatever? can exist over a decade. Yeah. And that was one of my thoughts. And, um, and it's just like every once in a while I get these nudges. The universe gives me these nudges, you know, little God nudges, God winks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I end up with an email from somebody I dated 30 years ago. <laughs> and he said, oh, you know, someone sent me, and there was an article about me, and someone has sent this, and, every, and I'm going to tell you I definitely went right back to those feelings three decades earlier. Yeah. So I thought, you know, I th- I'm like, okay, thank you very much. This is good. It's great to have this. Yeah. And so on we go. Yeah. I And I, I liked that component because it's not like he was in lo- I don't think, I didn't feel like he was in love with her for that whole span that they were apart. But yeah, he did always just have that kind of niggling thought in the back of his head, like, Huh, Kate, I wonder <laughs> what happened there and things like that. So, Well, I think that's one of the things that made him so angry. Yeah. Is that here he is at this age of his life when a man should be married, mm-hmm. and he hasn't. And then all of a sudden he sees her again, and he's thinking, here's the reason I never got married, because yeah. of what she did. You know, she just... She destroyed him. Yeah. <laughs> ruined, but, ruined him for yeah, all other women. It wasn't, wasn't so melodramatic. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, she, this, I have been all this time nursing this for this person. What a fool I am. Yeah. Um, so the character of Kate comes to us from a previous series. What was it about her that spoke to you and, you know, begged for a book to be written about her? Her outspokenness. Mm-hmm. I liked her immediately. She says exactly what she thinks. <laughs> um, I also, um, I also like the fact that Kate had a job. Yeah, and was proud of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have uh, it's it's interesting. We have kind of a closed view of history sometimes. Yeah, where we think um, we think, for example, that during the Regency, you know, women were had just a handful of things that they could do in life. You could either you know, be married, or you could uh, be a mistress. Hopefully, somebody <laughs> with a lot of money, or you could be a mistress, yeah. Or governess, you could be a washerwoman, or yeah. a barmaid, or you know, a cowherd, or shepherdess, or whatever. And in, in truth, there were there were women doing all sorts of interesting things. Yeah. The same the same way we're doing it now. They may not have been recognized for it. For example, there were many women who were writing novels, or the a, a real cottage industry in women writing novels. Mm-hmm. Not all those novels are being written or being published, kind of like today sometimes. <laughs> but uh, but there were lots of them. There were women who were artists. 
there were women who were practicing medicine. Um, they would, uh, <laughs> midwives, most babies were, were born, women were working as midwives doing that. So, so it's kind of fun in something like this to bring to the forefront, yes, there were women who were actresses who mm-hmm. were respectable. Yeah. Maybe not in the highest echelons of society, but there were. And one of the things I did in a previous book, I had uh, a date at the altar uh-huh. where um, the titled nobleman does marry the actress. And I went through and said, now here's the number of noblemen during the same time period who did marry actresses. Because, I'm, you know, we have, we, we have financiers and everybody marrying actresses today. Yeah. Well, that didn't just, just pop up. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think this is a Regency novel that I think explored kind of the actress life more than a lot. I feel like if any other previous book I've read with an actress, it's kind of been just that's what she does in passing. But I liked kind of spending time with her in that profession. And yeah, like you said, she has goals with with that job. Um, so what did your research process for actresses of the time include, and did you come across any particularly interesting tidbits about about that profession at that time? Well, I was a theater major. Oh. So the history of the theater was something, you know, that, that I'm aware of. Um, you know, the actresses, the great actresses during that time frame. Mm-hmm. And then I started thinking about the actresses who weren't as well-known, who weren't as feted. And I have a great book, a Covent Garden book. It has a list of all the theater bills during the Regency and beyond. Quite a few of them. So, you know, I could see the names of the number of actresses that are there. And and that, you know, kind of, that's part of what my research was. Yeah. And just, you know, um, going through and and reading tidbits and following up, like I said, finding out that there were some that became very respectable women. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were some that stayed single. Yeah. And they set the world on fire on their own. <laughs> yeah. I also liked how you pointed out that she was in charge of her acting troupe and that a lot of times the other men that she had to deal with wouldn't want to talk to her because they didn't like dealing with a woman who was in charge and they would interact with the gentleman, Silas, who was in her acting troupe. And right. instead of interacting with her because they, you know, they had power issues with talking to a woman that way. Yeah, but that's very modern. Yeah, I was going to say, that <laughs> still happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's very modern. You know, I, was, I mean, how often does that happen? Yeah. And, and a situation in the office or whatever, and there's a problem, and instead of talking to us, they're talking to the, to the male and the desk next to us. I mean, it's yeah. just silly. It's silly, yeah. but there you have it. Yeah, I've, I've encountered that. Um, how do you find the research process for writing historicals in general? Because I have considered writing historicals and that process just intimidates the heck out of me. Like, is that a component that you really enjoy about, about that? You know, I've always enjoyed that component and I've been doing it for over 25 years. Yeah. So I've read a lot of books and I have, um, I have a nice little healthy little library of books that I've collected over the years. Mm Mm-hmm. So that I can find those itty bitty little tidbits, and of course the internet has become, yeah. oh my gosh, it's just <laughs> a wealth of information. But in truth, I, it's like I have to know more information than what I ever use in the book. Yeah. For me, it's important that I give you the flavor without boring you with the details. Yeah. Right. 
Well, just like... And I'm working right now. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, you're great. Go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say, um, I'm working right now with the idea of a tea house. Mm-hmm. That, you know, the her in the book I'm doing now, she's like, oh, I envision she's going to do a tea house. And I'm sitting there, and I ended up, just by chance, picking up this incredible book on eBay, which is a nice little place, you know, to go searching. Yeah. It's called The Epicure's Almanac, Eating and Drinking in Regency London. And it's the original 1815 guidebook. Oh, wow. wow. That's How cool. incredible is this? Right? <laughs> that is cool. And it turned out they didn't have tea houses. They had tea gardens. Yeah, see, that's the and, kind of stuff. Uh, like, I I sat down yeah. to write one one time, and it was like, I realized I don't know anything really about mealtime and what was served when and how many meals and what times they had meals. And I was like, oh, this is too daunting. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't deal. But you know, it's true in contemporary, though. You have to do a lot of research for contemporary. Yeah. Yeah, that's you true. You need to know how they pump gas in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because if you have your heroin, get out and self-service the pump. Um <laughs> There, You've got there, a whole bunch of readers in New Jersey who gonna, will yell at you. Let me hear it. I, I have no doubt. Well, maybe I just need to write a book about Austin, Texas. How about that? And I, that I, would be lovely. I'd love to have you back. <laughs> I know a fair bit about that. Um, finally, Kathy, we want we want to let you get going and not you know monopolize your time too much. But a question we answer for every book we review on the podcast is what was the swooniest moment? So I'm going to give you a much more daunting task. But looking back on all of romance, do you have a moment you always go back to as being particularly swoony from a book? And it can even Ooh, be your own wow. book if you want it to be. Wow, that's really, uh, that's a challenge. That's daunting. It's a hard question to just throw at you. <laughs> well, and it's a hard one even I know, really. when that's we think about just one book. Moment. Yeah. Well, if it's you know, easier, it's just yeah. look back at this book that we just read, the one you just, and tell us what your swooniest well, but that might be a was. spoiler. It might be a oh, spoiler. Oh, that's true. Sorry. I don't want her to spoil Yeah, you know, I like, you know, for me, the book, the, the swooniest moments that stand out for me are the ones where, um, where the female protagonist acts first. Oh. You know, instead of the bruising, his hard bruising look came down on hers, it's like, she grabbed him by the forelock and brought him down on the carpet. So those things, and one one of the ones I've never forgotten is by Susan Elizabeth Phillips, and it's a book called Fancy Pants, and this is going back several decades. I remember reading that and thinking, oh, my gosh, in which it's on the top of a car, Ooh. Uh, the hood of a car. It's on the hood of a car, and it's with, it's a golf pro, and uh, I can't remember if she was a reporter or what she was, but, but it, I've, never, I've never forgotten that. I've never forgotten it, and that, that was a constant joke between my husband and I. Because he was like, well, I'm heading out to the car now. <laughs> oh, are you? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good, I like, I like your approach there. Um, and we have, we've never done a Susan Elizabeth Phillips and everybody tells us always that we need to do one. So we'll have to jump on that. Um, well, you know, it's hard to pick just one. I know that's, we get, I think match me if you can is the one that we seem to get the most. Okay. Um, right. Yeah. I have a question, um, if this isn't spoiling too much, but can I ask you who the next book is about? 
the next book, yeah, the next book is going to be about the physician, Ned Thurlow. Okay. And, and I'm, okay. I'm not going to say any more about that. No, (laughs) No, but you know, it's very interesting. It's, it's a, it's an interesting thing because, you know, he's, He's uh, busy avoiding everybody in this book, so mm-hmm. um, so be, it's a lot of fun. Okay, good. Cool. good. good. It's a lot of it. fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kathy, where can the the good people of the internet's find you? I'm on Facebook. Okay. At Maxwell Kathy. Okay. And I usually am on every day, and I yak back whether you want me to or not. <laughs> and then if you want to know more about me, then you can go to Kathy, C-A-T-H-Y, Maxwell.com. And, uh, and if you're in the Texas area, go join the book club and look. Oh my God, visit a reading Maxwell. salon. We call it, yeah, we call it the Heart of ATX is the name of the reading salon. Uh-huh. And we have a Facebook page for that, Heart of ATX. Lorraine Heath is going to be with us um, on. on April 24th. You can't beat Jess that. Jess Michaels, it's going to be a big historical night. Oh. So it's Jess Michaels, Lorraine Heath, a newcomer, a debut novelist by the name of uh, Sawyer Noor. Oh. And then also we're going to have Tracy Andrigetti who writes Cozy Mystery. Fun. So it's going to be, that's going to be a fun, fun time. And then now, I'll put in a plug also, in the Midwest, the first week of August is Romance Genre Con. Oh. And it's at the Kansas City Public Library, or not the, well, the Mid-Continental Public Library. It's in Independence, Missouri. And um, they have an incredible lineup. It's like three days, and we do a romance reading there. Awesome. But they have three days. They have writing classes. They have uh, panels. They have the opportunity for readers and writers to get together. We do um, we do a, a romance reading salon. That's always fun. It's a mm-hmm. highlight of the of the event, and it's free, 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 free. Love that. Ah, love and Kathy, you're yeah. going to be at KissCon this year, right? My misremembering. I that? am. So are we. So, so we'll are we. To... Oh my gosh, I'm so happy. <laughs> so we'll I have... will introduce you to everybody. Oh, we would love that. Love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's wonderful. Are you coming in on Thursday? We are. Well, we haven't bought our tickets okay. yet, but we're we're planning on being there. Plan. Yeah, we went when last okay. year, and it was a lot of fun. So I know this is yeah. Was, your I first did. Year. I I could not go last year, so yeah. I'm very excited to yeah. be there this year. It's a good time. Um, Kathy, yeah. thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, thank you to come and chat with us. Yeah. Um, thank you, Kathy, it was lovely to talk with you again. It was wonderful. You know, it's it's. I'd love to see you both. I'd yes. love to see you both. Excited to see you. Um, so everybody check out His Secret Mistress. Like I said, coming out tomorrow, February 25th. Um, we both really liked it. And, you know, come back and talk to us about it on the Facebook group or go talk to Kathy on Facebook about it. And, um, yeah. Thanks again, Kathy. And we'll see you Thank all later. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye. So that was our conversation with Kathy Maxwell. We, again, thank her so much for taking the time to come on and chat with her. We had a lot of fun doing that with her. Um, right, Mom? Yes, absolutely. Um, you might want to shout out to KissCon because both of our authors for today are going to be at KissCon. Yeah, it's true. Um, 
Anyway, thanks so much again for joining us. Again, if you would like to join us for Lush Money by Angelina Lopez in one week on March 2nd, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever your favorite podcasts are sold for free. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at NotYourMomsRom or on Facebook or Goodreads or email us at NotYourMomsRomanceBookClub at gmail.com. Don't forget to leave a review because it helps the show, and we just love reading them. All right. Thanks, Mom. You're welcome, Ellen. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Not Your Mom's Romance Book Club is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts.